Well, good morning, uh, my Willow family. How y'all doing? It is so good to be here. I, um, I feel like I am I'm in the Christmas spirit. Um, I'm uniquely thankful for the red blood of Jesus. Um, I feel like I'm standing in the blood of the power of his blood this morning. Um, I think some of y'all just got it. Um, <laughs> talked about my red pants, y'all. I'm rocking them today. I'm rocking them. No. You know, today's, today's exceptionally uh, special uh, because I get to make an introduction I've been wanting to make for a very, very long time. Um, Willow has just become family to me. And I just thought, man, it's about time for my Willow family to meet my home family, and I got my wife, uh, my daughter Zoe, Bethany, Isaacs, and Micah here with me. Willow family, would y'all meet my family and welcome them? Would y'all stand? Stand up, stand up. Give them some love. That's the crew. So important. Thank you, guys. So my, uh, my son there, my oldest son, Isaac, he, um, whenever I have to get on the plane, he'll often look at me with a sad, manipulative voice um, and say, Daddy, why do you have to leave? Um, and it breaks my heart, even though I know he's just trying to hustle to get extra candy. But he, um, he, he wants to know why Daddy has to leave the house. And Isaac, I just want you to know, as you look around the room, this is a church who served pastors, hundreds of thousands of pastors, all across the world. And Isaac, this church who served hundreds of thousands of pastors all across the world over the last two years, they've had a hard time. So Daddy and some other pastors have made it a commitment to come and encourage them. Because when... Okay, okay, y'all sit down, let's sit down. Because Isaac, what I want you to know is when friends go through hard times, friends show up for other friends. And we're showing up for our friends. And that's why we're here. Amen? All right, a brother ain't got long to preach today, and I just lost three minutes. Let's, jive, let's, let's, let's dive in here. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. We're going to pick up at the end of chapter 7 in verse 53. Um, and then we're going to jump into chapter 8, verse 1. Familiar passage. I pray that God would give us fresh ears, fresh eyes to see, hear, and experience these ancient words again as though it were the first time. Hear these words of our Father. Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. 
the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote, on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this great church. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for the mission. Thank you for the fierce resolve of the people of God to pursue that mission at all cost. Now, Father, we pray that you would be with us that you would tune our ear to your voice so that we might hear you ever so clearly. God, we pray that you would capture our hearts in such a way that we won't miss not one thing that you have for us. God, it's to that end that I ask that you stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things you would have us say, know, and do. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, you are my strength. You are my redeemer. Get glory in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Bible says that this woman was caught in adultery. She was caught. And then, 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 to be honest, it goes on to say she was caught in the act of adultery. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind, but they caught in the act of adultery. That's pretty explicit all the way already out the gate. They caught her in the act of, of adultery. Now, now, I don't, I don't really have time to deal with this, uh, it, but, but if I had time, I would take the time to call out the fact that last time I checked, uh, it takes two to commit adultery. Why they got the woman and where is the man? Uh, and why has he not been brought before? I don't have time. I, I, don't, I don't have time to talk about it, but if I had time to talk about it, I'd talk about how it's dangerous to have a culture that hold women accountable but give men a pass and that men need to be held responsible for their actions as well as the sisters. I, I don't have time to talk about it, but, 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 but if I took time to talk about it, if I had time, I don't have time, but if I had time to talk about it, I'd talk about how we need to be careful that we raise boys that aren't passive and that stand up and stand 
stand and guard and lead our women and not leave them to the results, that we raise boys that actually know how to have conversations more than know how to play on a video game, that we raise boys and teach them how to talk and communicate or else we're going to have a whole generation that ain't married and don't know how to talk to a woman because all they know how to do is play fight night or whatever the thing is. So we talk about raising men that can lead women and lead men and lead themselves and be held accountable for their actions. I don't have time to talk about it. But if I did, that's what I would say. I'd say that if I did. They, They bring the woman and she's calling the act of adultery and what they're doing is they're They're trying to bring a case. They're trying to trap Jesus. See, because Jesus had a way. Every time they come with the letter of the law, he'd bring out the heart of the law, the grace of the law. And they wouldn't be able to execute this legalistic letter that they took such pride and self-righteousness in. So Jesus had a way of getting around their pharisaical uh, pursuits. And so now they think we got him. We caught her in the act of adultery. They take her, they throw her in front of Jesus and say, Moses said that she should be stoned. What do you say, Jesus? And Jesus does something. I'm telling you, it's brilliant. I'm going to try it the next time I get in a fight with my wife. I'm, I'm going to try. Jesus, the Bible says, they bring the accusation, and he just stooped down and started writing in the dirt. I'm telling you, I'm going to try it. Next time my wife comes to me and says, now what, what happened with this? <laughs> Work for Jesus, y'all. I might have a shot. We'll see. We'll see. Jesus stoops down and writes in the dirt. And they're frustrated and they're waiting on an answer. Now, some, some theologians sit and in, 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 in sit in the tension of what did he write? Uh, what did he write? I'm just going to be honest with you. I have no idea what he wrote. Um, I have no idea. Some preachers get a little carried away and they say that he wrote, um, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. Well, I don't know why he'd write that. Um, uh, or, or one guy, he got to preaching, and he just said, he wrote, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Well, that wouldn't be written to thousands of years later by John Newton, so Jesus clearly didn't write that. Um, I'm not sure what he wrote, but I just know he stooped down in the dirt, and he wrote, and after a while, he stood, and he looked at him, and he said, he that is without sin, if you ain't never done nothing wrong, be the first one. Throw the stone. Go ahead. Hit in the head. Go ahead. Knock her out. Go ahead. Knock her. He didn't really say all that. It was just me <laughs> embellishing the story a little bit. But, you know, he, he says, cast the first stone. And over time, what he begins to hear immediately is people started dropping stones and walking away. Without sin, I just sinned yesterday. I can't be hitting nobody in the head. Let me put this rock down and go check on my roast in the oven. Let me go. Like they, like they, they, they realize that we've all sinned. Now the woman, the woman is sitting there literally waiting to be stoned to death. So she's sitting there waiting to be stoned. And Jesus says, woman, where are your accusers? And she's... She says, she says, I have none. He says, 
they don't condemn you, and neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, if you don't see yourself in that passage, I need you to look again. Because I don't know about you, but anybody know what it is to be caught in something? Anybody ever been caught? If you ever been caught in something, raise your hand. If you didn't raise your hand, you just got caught in a lie. We've all been caught in something. We've all been caught red-handed. We've all missed the mark. We've all failed miserably. And we have all know what it's like to be caught. And I'm telling you, when I was caught, scared and fearful of God's judgment and wrath over my life, I'm so glad that I had a God who stooped down and put his hand in the dirty places of my life and wrote a new story. Oh, I wish I had a witness up in here. If God has ever put his hand in the dirty places of your life, you ought to give him praise right now and say, I'm so glad I got a God that'll go to my broken places, my messed up places. He put his hand in the dirty places of my life, but watch this, he wrote a new grace. He wrote a new story. Today, there are three things that I just want to lift up in just a few moments of our time together. Three things that we learn about God's grace for his children. Three things that we learn about God's grace for his children. Now, now, if I was to be honest, there are probably more than three things, but sermonically, I'm only required for three. So let's just take that, all right? Number one, you don't get to throw them away. You don't get to throw them away. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you can't throw them away. Oh my goodness, you got a terrible neighbor. Turn on the other side. Turn, get you another neighbor real quick. And tell them, you don't get to throw them away. They come in the passage and they want to throw her away. They want to discard her. They want to rid the world of her. They literally want to throw her away. Why? Because she messed up. Because she made a mistake. She was marked with guilt and shame and failure. And what the world does with your failure is they want you to think that you're worthless and you're worthy to be thrown away. Can I just take 30 seconds and encourage somebody who might have failed miserably, who might have missed the mark. You made a mistake. You did the wrong thing. And you feel worthless. You feel as if you're not valuable. As a matter of fact, you've had friends throw you away. Some you had family throw you away. Some of you had spouses throw you away. Can I just tell you, Jesus Christ says, if you're my daughter, if you're my son, you are made in my image. We don't throw you away. You don't throw them away. I don't care how bad you messed up. I don't care how bad you failed. You don't get to throw me away. And you don't get to make me feel as if I'm worthless and I should be thrown away. Let me tell you something. You might have done something, but you are not what you did. You are not your mistake. Even with your mistake, you are still the beloved son and daughter of God. And nobody gets to throw you away. A few years ago, I had the privilege of going to state penitentiary in Louisiana, Angola Prison. Now, Angola was known once in the world for being the bloodiest prison in the world because of the violence. Revival broke out in that prison. 
a seminary moved in. They started training pastors. Those pastors started going on the yard, evangelizing, and revival broke out. They started church after church after church. And now I would like to say that it is the most blood-washed prison in the world. God's done something good. Blood washed like my pants, a blood wash for the glory of God. Still not as funny in my, in, in, out loud as it is in my mind, Matt, but that's okay. I'm, I'm working on it. Um, I got a chance to go to this prison, y'all, and it, 80, 90% of the people there are doing life sentences. And they're doing life sentences for violent crimes. So that means when you go in this room, it's a good chance you're sitting next to someone who murdered someone, sitting next to someone who sexually violated or raped someone, someone who tried to take somebody else's life. So I'm going to be honest. They call me and they say, Albert, we want you to come in here and preach. And, you know, I'm thinking, no, I don't. I don't want to go to a state penitentiary and preach. I'm sorry, can I send a video, please? Um, and then I get there, that I go, you know what I mean? The Lord is like, go, where else are you going? Else I'm going to kill you. I was like, okay, Jesus, I'm going to go. You know what I mean? Old Testament Jesus, he, he get to talking to me. He violent. He don't play. Um, so, so, so I go, and y'all, I'm just being honest. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I know people talk about prison ministry and you, you might think they're superheroes and they got this special gift. No, 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 no. Can I tell you? I was scared out of my mind. We walked on death row and you walk on death row and I was like, hey guys, Jesus loves you. Okay, I'm out. Let's go. Like I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. And then the church service, the church service, you know, I told you the record of these prisoners I walk in, I'm thinking, man, they're going to be, they're going to be handcuffed up and, st- you know what I mean? And no, I walk in, they're walking around wide open, kicking it. And I was like, we, we going up in there? Just like that. They're just going to be walking around the whole time we up in there? All right. And so my whole time, my first 20 minutes, I got my eye on the guy with the guns, just making sure I'm close to them. It's like, no, sir, you want to talk to me? Could you come, come over here and stand with me next to the guard? Okay, all right. Now, what's going on? <laughs> you know, like, but can I tell you, after 20 minutes of worshiping, praising God, it's amazing how the family of faith always feels like home, regardless of how far away from home you are. No, they no longer were what they did. I was worshiping with my brothers and with my brothers in Christ, and can I tell you, I saw more freedom in that room than I see with some of the men in their churches with freedom. Saw more freedom in that room. Talk to a guy named Wayne, and me and Wayne, guy, we talk for over an hour, and we're just sitting there talking, and he starts telling me about this ministry that he has. And he, he says it all started with him taking this old piano that was in this old beat-up chapel. And this old piano was decrepit. It was all beat-up, uh, rat-infested. But he asked the warden, he said, can I have the piano and take it to the wood shop? I think I want to do something with it. So the warden says, yeah, that thing ain't worth nothing. So he gives it to him, rat feces in it. I mean, it's soiled, it's stained, it's It's terrible. He takes it and he begins this process of cleansing it and washing it. 
And as he cleans it and as he washes it, he takes the wood from the piano and he begins to carve out a guitar. And he takes the broken, soiled wood from the piano and he makes a guitar. Well, everybody on the grounds were talking about it. And so they found another old beat-up piano out of use, and he took that piano, and he made another guitar. Then a church heard about it and says, oh, we've got an old piano we can donate. So they started donating pianos so he could make a guitar. It became this whole thing of him taking these old pianos and using the wood to make new guitars. And at this point, you know, I don't know, my cynical mind, I was like, um, what? Why not get them to donate you wood so you can just make the guitar? Like, if they're going to bring you an old piano, just tell them to uh, stop by Home Depot, pick up some wood. Bro, you can, you can hook some guitars up. You know what I mean? Like, why are you using these old pianos? Just throw these old pianos away and get you some new wood. And he looked at me as if to say, there, there, Albert. Um, he said... Albert, the only problem is that's just not what God does with us. When we're soiled, when we're stained with sin of this world, he doesn't throw us away. He remakes us, and he makes something new out of something old and stained and soiled. So he said, Albert, every time I'm cleaning these pianos and purifying them and getting them ready to become a guitar when I'm fashioning them into this new image. I just think about what Jesus's hands have done on my life. He's taken my old soil stained life and he's carved out something new and beautiful that plays melodically for his glory. That's what he's done in my life. I realized then it's not about the new guitar, but it's about the redeemed piano. I'm telling you, God says, even though you're soiled, even though you're stained, even though you might be marked by sin, no one gets to throw you away. My redemptive hand will make something new out of something old for my glory. Number one, we learn about God's grace for his children. No one gets thrown away. Number two, everyone makes a wrong turn. Everyone makes a wrong turn. He says to this woman, go and sin no more. It's clear. He's not downplaying her mistake. She was wrong. She made a bad choice. She made a wrong turn. He's not trying to downplay that. And he's saying to us, the message is very clear. Everyone messes up. That's why he says, you without, without sin cast the first stone. Oh, guess what? You can't. Because everybody messes up. Turn to your neighbor and tell them everybody messes up. Turn to your other neighbor, the better neighbor, and tell them even you. Tell them, tell them even you. Even you. Look at this wife. She got attitude with her husband. Look at her. Even you. This morning you messed up. Everybody makes a wrong turn. So if you're in here today and you made a wrong turn, would you be encouraged? If you're watching online, maybe you're... Maybe you're incarcerated. Everyone makes a wrong turn. Living in L.A., I've learned to live dependent upon the GPS. Um, uh, but let me, can I, can I just tell you, I've driven in L.A. Over the last weekend, we've been with my family. We've been hanging out in Chicago, and I had a rental car. I've been driving around Chicago. Can I tell you something? 
What's wrong with y'all? Like these freeways are the craziest things I've ever seen. And how many toll roads can y'all have in one city? This is unbelievable. We almost went broke. I had to call Pastor Steve and say, hey, we on the side of the road. We can't afford another toll. I need you to take up an offering from somewhere and come help us get off the side of the road. We didn't broke our kids, piggy banks. We didn't, I mean, we almost went work. And we're just driving around the city. And, and the question my kids was asking is, Daddy, who is Brian Erlacher? Like, what are, like, who is this guy? And why is he posted all over the city? And what's going on with his head? Like, like, it's so many confusing things. And then we went to the bean. We went to the bean, which parenthetically is a frozen bean. Uh, it was so cold outside. Uh, we, we had the bean, and then we went, went ice skating. Well, let's be clear. My family went ice skating. I took pictures because uh, I wasn't getting out there. I could hear it now. How did Pastor Tate break his leg? Um, he was out there ice skating in Chicago and couldn't get to the hospital because he ran out of money and couldn't get through the toes. And Brian Erlacher came and picked him up on the side of the street and offered him a haircut. I don't know. So, y'all, we're driving through Chicago, and I got the little GPS system, and I think I got one that was broken. Because my lady, y'all know how the lady is usually like a nice, sweet, slightly British woman talking? 500 feet, slight turn left. You know what I mean? My woman, I don't know what was wrong with her. She had an attitude. I don't know if I got a bad box or something like that. She was like, I said turn left. <laughs> oh, you just going to keep driving. You know this part of Chicago has been discovered already. <laughs> so, y'all, I'm driving, and I'm sorry. Although I got this woman yelling at me, I still make a wrong turn. I still make a wrong turn. And the thing about Chicago, you just can't make a U-turn and turn back. No, I had to go 20 miles, go through seven more tolls just to get back where I was lost from. Here's the cool thing about the GPS. When you make a wrong turn, the GPS ain't just like, I quit, you just stuck. Call your mama. You know what I mean? Like the GPS is not like that. GPS is not like your spouse. Um, no, I'm not, I mean, that's not really a reflection on my own personal relationship with my spouse. It has nothing to do with it. Um, when you make a wrong turn, it says something called recalculating. And what it does is it takes where you got off the path and it recalculates your passageway back to where you were intended to go. So when you make a wrong turn, you're not stuck there. It'll recalculate a new path to get you where you were destined to go. Oh, come on, Willow. If you get it early, I won't have to preach as long. Sometimes as believers, sometimes we're trying to follow Jesus and we'll make a wrong turn. But when we make a wrong turn, Jesus ain't recalculating. He's renewing. He's restoring. He's redeeming. He's reviving. He's doing a new thing in our lives. Let him restore you. Let him renew you. Let him redirect you. Everybody makes a wrong turn, but the grace of God will find you where you are and bring you back to the place you were destined to be. The grace of God met this woman in her wrong turn. Last and finally, number one, you don't get to throw them away. Number two, everyone makes a bad turn. Number three, God always shows up for those who've messed up. He always shows up for those who've messed up. She messed up and nobody was showing up for her. No one was advocating for her. No one was saying, we need to help her, let her live. No one was shouting grace, but Jesus showed up 
and shouted her worth, shouted her grace, and he saved her. Let me tell you something. God always shows up for those who mess up. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we should always show up, even especially for those who have messed up. It's the very essence of Christmas. It's the very essence of Jesus Christ. It's the very idea of incarnation. Jesus Christ knew that we were messed up, so he showed up incarnate, Jesus Christ. He himself showed up so that he might save us. John 1, 1 says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says this, and the Word put on flesh and dwelt among us. I love the message version. It says, and the Word put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. I love it. He moved into the neighborhood. That means he comes near. He comes to right where we are. We've got a God that shows up even when we're messed up. We've got a God that'll never leave you nor forsake you. He shows up every single time. Y'all not getting it up in the balcony? I could tell. Let me try to say it another way. Let me put it this way. Tim, Tim Keller talks about a professor who worked at a college, and he, he wanted to work at home so that his wife might go out and work, work, work in, the, uh, in the field. And so uh, the, the problem was, though, he had three sons under the age of eight years old. Uh, but he thought, uh, I can work upstairs, and my boys can play downstairs. Uh, some of you got kids, you already laughing. You know this ain't going to end well. As he's working upstairs, the boys get in a fight downstairs. And he says, in a plight not to go downstairs, he just yells downstairs, figure it out, figure it out. Well, that don't work. So he, he continues working upstairs, and then they continue fighting downstairs. So then he shouts down another instructive. He says, share, just, just share it. Y'all just share. Dad, if we could share, this wouldn't be a problem. Uh, so... So, so, so then finally, after frustration, he's still working. They're still fighting. He ultimately yells down and says what every parent has said throughout our parenting. He sends a warning. He says, now, if I have to come down there, somebody's going to be in trouble. Well, they're still fighting. And finally, ultimately, he concludes that I've got a problem downstairs, and I can no longer stay upstairs. I've got to leave upstairs, go downstairs, and fix a problem that only I can fix between my children. Oh, some of you, you're getting it early. I like it. I like it. You're coming with me. Jesus Christ was upstairs, but he saw his children fighting downstairs, so he had to leave from his home in glory upstairs, put on flesh, move into our neighborhood, and do it all. Only he could do, bring hope, peace, love, joy, and wholeness to his fighting children. You ought to give God glory that he moved from upstairs to downstairs so that he might be with us. He, he shows up for those who have messed up. A few moments, we're going to pack some bags. And we're going to send them to our brothers and sisters who may feel alone, but you are not alone. And we pray that the presence of God will do something as crazy as dwell in these bags so that when they open up these bags, they'll experience the hope, the joy, the peace, and the love with which they were filled. We've got a God that shows up for those who've messed up. I pray that God shows up in those prison cells. I pray that God shows up in you. How do I know that God's going to show up 
those who've messed up in prison. How do I know these bags are going to be effective? Well, I know he'll show up for them because I can look at you and tell he's shown up for you. And even though you messed up, he showed up. Jesus, thank you for showing up for his glory. Amen.